This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by my co-hosts, Tablet senior writer Leah Leibovitz. Adar Shani. Adar Beth, the revenge. And tablet deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. What's up? Today, we'll be playing some tape from our live show at the JCC Manhattan, where we talk to dating app ghostwriter Meredith Golden. Other guests this week, we have a Jew-Gentile of the Week combo, a mashup, married comedians Jess Solomon and Iman El Husseini, a Jewish and Palestinian-Canadian-American wifely couple. Uh, What is up? Leah, what's up with you? I just got back from a wonderful city and a terrible festival, South by Southwest in Austin, which is really, you know... It is unbelievable. You that always place. go to South by Southwest. Why are go, you always there? I don't know. I go there to remind myself how fiercely I hate it. I literally heard a person say at that festival. So for those of our listeners who don't know, this is a festival where people pay $1,300 a ticket to come here. Innovators and influencers. Well, it Talk started. Ideas. It started as a music festival. It, it started used to be where you went to see indie a bands. Bunch of cool people sweating down in a basement listening right. to the Butthole Surfers in 1987. And then it became South right. by Southwest Interactive or whatever. Correct. The, the then they figured out, yeah. okay, music's sort of dead. You know what people pay a lot of money for? A bunch of a holes telling them about the latest app. AI a holes. AI holes right. coming to talk about tech. I literally heard a person. Say, like one of the organizers say, because everyone, you know, is talking about social justice and progressive values and everything. But like this is a multi-million dollar operation. I literally heard a person say, if you're here for the social justice panel, but don't have a platinum badge, please move to the back of the line. It's <laughs> just like Whoa. completely unironically. But what, what was the highlight of the festival, you ask? What, what was the highlight? The of highlight festival? of the festival, of course, was the Shabbat dinner. Organized by my friend, our friend, friend of the show, Mordechai Lightstone, the Chabad, Chabad it's emissary. It's pronounced Chabad. Ch- Chabad. Uh, Chabad bread. Rabbi. I do have a friend um, who once pronounced Shabbat. 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 Shabbat Shalom. He was talking about the local rabbi. I said, yeah, I think the guy was from this like really cool congregation Shabbat. Shabbat. I want a massage. Shabbat. So Mordechai threw the festival's largest Shabbat dinner. And you walk into to this Shabbat dinner, like 300 people there. It's incredible. And, and you know what they're not doing? They're not online. They're not on their fucking phones. Yeah. You know what they are doing? They're actually talking to people. It was the only place in the festival with like 70,000 people in Austin, for the right. Way, right? Where I see people talking to other people, like human beings. It was beautiful. What's going on with you, Stephanie? What is going on with me? So this weekend, I celebrated a very important holiday. It's called Stephanie and Colette Day. And it was in its 15th year. So basically, we were like, you know what would be fun if like we made a day and it was like Stephanie and Colette day and, and we'd like get each other presents. We just like celebrate our friendship. So it was this past weekend. And it's so nice to just like have a day that celebrates your friendship with someone. What did you do to celebrate? Like, so the most go, charming thing yeah, I've ever heard so in my life. I got to go um, to brunch. And then we do a gift exchange. First of all, hold on. Is there Erev Stephanie and Colette? Yeah, it's Are when I'm like frantically packing my present and writing a card. Sundown. Yeah, it begins right. at sundown. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's actually really funny. So this year I said, let's just do like, usually, sometimes we go a little overboard and there's just like a lot of little things. And I was like, you know, I don't have room for all this stuff. Let's just keep it really, really simple and just go like, go spare this year. Just like one thing. And I obviously didn't do one thing. I kind of forgot that I had said that. So I got her this like a few different things. And she got me something so amazing. It's that when Milton Glaser was designing the like New York 
things like for different like the New York right. Tourism Board, whatever. He made one that says the cat Catskills and it's like a picture of the Catskills but a huge cat in it and it's this like amazing print that she tracked down from MoMA and now I just like have it. I'm I'm feeling that's so should beautiful. We have, should we have Mark and Leal day? <laughs> Let's have Mark and Leal day. It'll involve walking to the strand Watching Beverly Hills 90210. We'll each buy each other a book at the Strand, and then we'll go home, and we'll randomly throw a dart at your 90210 DVDs. Correct. And, and select an episode, ideally from somewhere in the, the, the prime in the years mid-range. of seasons three to seven. Correct. <laughs> and then, can we do shrooms at the end of it? <laughs> Guys, respect the day. <laughs> no, I think, we, I, I, I think we just took it to the new level. I think we just nailed it. I think actually we're never going to prove on Strand. 90210 and then get super high on shrooms. That would be you know what? Okay. That's fine. It's your day. It's our Stephanie day. Yeah, we don't tell you how to celebrate Take Colette that, Day. Stephanie and Colette Day. What's up with you? <laughs> yeah, Omar Grock, tell us. What's for, going on with you? Thanks for asking, guys. Every day is Mark Day. Thanks for asking, guys. Um, what's going on with me? This is this is gonna be a little self-serving, if I may. May I? You may. Shocking. May I? Shockingly. <laughs> um, remember a few weeks ago I talked about how I had done a new edition of my book about bar mitzvahs and I'd retitled it The Bar Mitzvah Crasher yes. and you know so then I gave everyone this these instructions to go to Amazon and it turned out my link was broken for like two weeks the link is fixed and you want to know how great a producer Josh Cross is he made up a bit.ly like brief link so if you go to bit.ly slash mark crasher <laughs> so good bit.ly slash mark crasher you can get the book for $18 and as I said a couple weeks ago the cut that I get will go to fund my the book that I'm writing on the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh and I'm proud to report that Cat Stevens is loving his new copy of the Bar Mitzvah Crasher here Stephanie on you, a bought, photo. you bought the Bar Mitzvah Crasher yeah well first I said I said Ben here's a link order because Ben handles our Amazon account um, so I'm like order this Usually he writes back, "Are you? Is this a joke?" But this time he didn't. He did it. <laughs> then it, one more little self-serving bit of news. Self-serving news of the Jews. One B is that uh, the storytelling conference that I run at Yale every June is running again. We actually had a couple, a couple of the of the J Crew attend last year, and it'd be amazing to have some more people back. Um, Catherine Burns from The Moth is coming. Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. Moi. Sarah Stillman from The New Yorker. It's an amazing group of people. And if people are, are curious, they can go to thread.yale.edu. It's a canuga in New Haven, It's if a canuga in New Haven. Now, in more Hamish news, uh, we got a new sofa at, at, at Oppenheimer Manor. And this is really fraught because when you're raised in Oppenheimer, I don't think I've told you guys this before. This you're is an Oppenheimer? Of, <laughs> this is a bit of psychology from my childhood that we haven't gotten to yet. I'm going to put myself on the couch for a Year moment. three, it's about time. We had a, you know, a small center hall colonial New England house that had like a dining room, a living room, and a kitchen. That was the whole downstairs. And the living room had some furniture. The dining room didn't really have a dining room table. It was kind of used as the den and had a TV, which of course didn't have cable because we were Oppenheimers. Now, here's the really interesting thing. It didn't have a sofa. It had one chair. And it was known as the green chair. And it was this old, like, crushed, velvety, velory chair that was, like, worn thin in a very beautiful way. But it's, it's the one you fought for. It sat one person. And mm. maybe if it were two little people, it could sit two people. And if the whole family was watching TV together, two people at most got the chair and the other two or three or four had the to other sit 17 on the floor. Had to take the floor. On the hardwood floor. And for years, my parents would say, this is the year we're going to get a sofa. I've been looking. I found some swatches, et cetera. And literally my whole childhood went by, ages 2 to 18 in this house, and we never got a sofa. Why, you might ask. More qualified professionals than I would have to explain to you what was going on with my parents. That, that They could buy a car. They could buy a Cuisinart. 
They even got a microwave, I think, seven years ago. But there was something about buying new furniture that was very painful for them. I think it was a mix of feeling that it was indulgent. Like they had a thing where they had they didn't want to go cheap because they were too there was too much snobbery to go cheap. But they also couldn't spend a lot because that seemed decadent. So finding the right price with the right features was impossible for their if like only the internet existed. I then. gotta tell you, I, I oh no, that would have paralyzed them more. Right. That would have been worse. I empathize one thousand, but I feel exactly the same. Liel had the opposite situation. He had a room filled with chairs. <laughs> no, he didn't know I, which one to I, sit on. I, the be- one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from an older friend who is an olive oil farmer in Israel, an olive farmer who produces olive oil. And he said, I only have one thing to teach you. I was like, what is this? He looks at me very sternly and says you should always despise your furniture. I was like, that is actually kind of true. So I failed on that count because (laughs) as part of the proof that we all recover from things that our families do to us, and I should say I have wonderful family. I feel in many ways I'm a highly functional, happy... The the proof is I'm a happy adult. I'm like the happiest guy I know. But I have... I had some stuff to overcome. I've long wanted a big L-shaped sectional sofa because (laughs) you know what? There's seven of us. Like one little... Like a love seat or even a three-person. It's like not enough. (laughs) So I said to sit, my brother told me, he just got a good sectional. He said, go on Macy's. Just go to, I was like, Macy's? You can't just go to Macy's. You have to go to like Jaybird or Burrow or some like <laughs> hyper cool internet thing that's flashing ads right. on your, and he's like, no, go to Macy's. We just got a sectional. It's comfortable. It arrived in three days. I go to fucking Macy's.com. How old, how 1961 right. is that? I find the L shape that I want, a hundred inches Mrs. on each Mrs. side. Mrs. Mazel greeted you with A hundred inches on each side? Uh, that's huge. amazing. It's huge. It's a hundred inches on each side. I basically found the, dem- I figured how big can I get? I bought it. It was like less than $2,000, which for that big a sofa yeah. is a steal. Four days later, I get a call from the moving people like, we, here's a two-hour window tomorrow. They moved it in. It is the mo- it's changed our family life. All of us can be on it. We can all watch TV together. We, it's like it, it's like comfort. So happy. Some, here's- some of the lessons have sexual fantasies. Young Mark Oppenheimer had sectional fantasies. Sectional it's called sectional what, healing for a reason. One day I'll have 100 inches but here's of the a thing. sofa. Here's the thing. I kind of feel guilty about it. Like as an Oppenheimer, <laughs> I'm not entitled to a big L-shaped sectional sofa. Is it? It's it's partly class-based. It's like too a little sort of too middle yeah. classy. Like it's too it's too plump. You know, our sofas are supposed to be kind of beaten like down. Threadbare. Thread- <laughs> yes, they're supposed to be threadbare. Did you call your dad? There are too many pillows. Oh yeah. And I think my pa- I think my parents are going to hate it. Huh. I do. They're going to look at it. They're going to judge you. Does that you. give you a it's, little bit of joy? It's de trop. Yeah. It gives me like fear, but also joy at the same. It's like it's bad. It's so bad. It's good. <laughs> so you're there right. are listeners out there who know exactly what I'm. Your parents are going to be like, "Have we taught you nothing?" Next thing you know, you're going to pay for movie tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Not a son of mine. <laughs> Guys, I also bought a couch recently. Do you want to know why? Why? It, it, it is also a, a, like a little, a little sectional. Uh-huh. It is because I am moving. What? I am boom, moving boom, boom. on up out the of our studio. The entire time I've known you, you've been in that apartment. I know. <laughs> and by um, apartment, you mean room, ch- chamber. Chamber. It's one green chair. Uh, ben and I have lived in a studio for about four and a half years. It is like the greatest apartment in the entire world, but it it's tough. It's not that much room. So we are moving two blocks away to a one bedroom, which is like the, I want, I was like, we could go at four block radius, any direction, except not West. I was just like, we could actually really only go like three different blocks that I'd be comfortable with. Cause I'm like, I'm not ready to uproot my life. I don't want to change my subway station. I don't want to change my coffee shop. Dear Everything should stay the same. Welcome to New York. That's right. Yes. But so we went to West Elm and got a couch on sale. It's called <gasps> the Drake. 
I'm gonna look it up. Right. <laughs> Is it really? I'm looking it up right yeah, now. Yeah, but it's expensive. But it, it was we got it on a, a nice, right. a great price. Um, so that's really exciting. It's getting delivered on Monday, and I'm moving next Friday. So by the time you guys hear the next, yeah, by the time you guys hear the next next week's episode is a special one. Once you hear it. I'll be moving. Is this all send, good? Send or... mezuzahs to Oh, wait. Here's Stephanie the crazy thing. Botnick. There's a mezuzah on the door already, <laughs> which makes me feel like, and it's kind of an ugly one. It's like orange. You got to like, keep it. You but I'm like, it. now I have all these mezuzahs and I'm like kind of more comfortable with my Jewish identity. And I was thinking like, I'll put one up. And uh-uh. I'm like, there's freaking already one up. The good Lord already did did the work for you. The three of us collectively have so much news of the Jews. It almost feels like overkill to do more news of the Jews. And yet. There's so much more news of the Jews. Liel. It has been a bountiful week. Yes, it has. Last week, we reported on a uh, certain parade in a certain town in a certain country in Europe. That should remain a nameless, but if you're wondering, it is the child rape capital of the world. And they are famous for waffles and fries. That's correct. Uh, And they're right next to France, but nowhere near as cool. Uh, and so in the that's town such of a good, um, that's such a good like like slogan, right? Right next to France, Belgium, <laughs> right next to France, not as interesting. In the town of Alst, which <laughs> says everything in Belgium, uh, you may recall from last week's show that there was a parade. You may recall that recall that in that parade there were big floats of uh, Orthodox-looking Jews with hook noses, with uh, rats on their shoulders, uh, looking at huge bags of money as they spin the little globe because you know. They control the world. Um, And so uh, good-hearted folk out there in the Jewish media thought, well, maybe this is all a big misunderstanding. Maybe these good folks just don't really understand the connotation of what they're doing. Maybe we should give them a chance to explain themselves. So the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, bless their soul, sent a reporter to talk to the creators of of this float. And they said, in in a piece that's like almost better than the original piece, they said like, oh, no, 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 we totally understand it's anti-Semitic. But here's the thing. We asked the mayor of the town if it was funny. And the mayor said it was hilarious. So we're all really proud of our anti-Semitism. The guy's like, the mayor said it was fine. And he would even cover whatever fines are imposed on us. That's right. Like it is actually (laughs) city-sponsored anti-Semitic caricatures. (laughs) It is unbelievable. But I got to tell you, it all pales in comparison to a story that is very serious. And and very, uh, I think, should alarm a lot of us. And it's it's so serious that I'm I'm going to read the report from the Toronto Sun. Billionaire diamond trader Ahud Arielaniad's pursuit of a plentiful penis has ended in his death. The 65-year-old Big Wheel died of a heart attack at a private Paris hospital where he was undergoing a penis enlargement procedure. Reports say the Israeli-Belgian died on the operating table. Belgian media report... By the way, Belgian media report <laughs> that Laniad was stricken when a substance was injected into his penis, triggering his demise. His company, Omega Diamonds, confirmed his death. Quote, farewell to a visionary businessman. <laughs> it is with great sadness that we confirm that our founder, Ahud Ari Laniado, has passed away, the company said. One friend told Belgian media that Laniado had always been focused on his appearance and how others perceived him. But his pursuit of a bigger penis ultimately led to his demise. I have so many questions. What is a penis enlargement surgery? <laughs> That's number one. I mean, um, this is a really sad story. It and is. I think it, it shows is. that you know, like- it's a, a person dying. It shows man yeah, body image yes, issues exactly, too. Yes, exactly, exactly. And there was some quote in that article that was like, for a few minutes each day, he was happy, but all the other times he was thinking about like what he looked like and what people thought of him. One of the articles, and by the way, I take none of these articles fully seriously. They're all from places like the Daily Mail that make stuff up. But one of the articles said that 
he needed his daily fix of, of, of egotism to come from an assistant reading him his bank statement. Which I just found kind of like mm, maybe twice a week someone had to read him his bank statement. There's no human being who at like 3.30 every day with his tea has an aide read him his bank I, statement. I That's picture just a- it as like a readout comes out of like the calculator and he's like, OK, hold on. And like he like is scrolling through and he's like one billion six hundred. You have feel, one I, million dollars. I picture like the good place. And he says, Janet, could I have could I have my bank statement? And it just pops up on it. On a Janet, screen. how big is my penis? <laughs> it is. It is. You know. Yeah, I, Stephanie, you're right. We should take this a little bit seriously. I'm actually curious. I feel like, listeners, we have some doctors among you. Does the safe and and successful penis enlargement surgery <laughs> exist? I mean, many of us subscribe to men's magazines at various points in our lives, like reputable ones, Rolling Stone, GQ, where there would be some, in the back a little classified ad. Ads. Suggesting that there were- That if your member needs some, yeah. some support. And most of us didn't call that 1-800 number. But Ahud Laniato did. So some, bright, some happier news. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is like basically Jewish. We Had a penis enlargement surgery? No. Okay, good. Better. Well, you know, he's like, he's basically like very, he's he's like an honorary MOT because he like is from the Heights right by Yeshiva University. I think Agreed. he's like an honorary degree there. He, he went to Wesleyan. Yeah, like he's, you know, he's, we, we, we want, he wrote about Hamilton who basically like, you know, people think may have been Jewish. We yeah. are all about that research. He's Puerto Rican, which is basically Jewish. Mm-hmm. So he had this great tweet uh, last week. He said, he was, I think maybe he was like at home going through old stuff. And he says, found my planner from the lean years of 2003 to 2004, dancing at bar mitzvahs. 207th and 10th Avenue is where the van picked me up for the gig. And this is, okay, this is from October 2004. And it says, 1230, Boston bar mitzvah, exclamation mark, $400, downtown Boston, Boston Harbor Hotel. So that means that, Lin-Manuel Miranda was getting picked up from New York, driven to Boston to dance at Bar Mitzvahs and made $400, which seems like pretty good for those. Yeah, that's yeah. good cash. I want, And one of our listeners can figure out whose Bar Mitzvah that yeah, was. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda was dancing at somebody's Bar Mitzvah, October something or other, 2004, in Boston. Let's figure this one out. That's that's pretty important important news, I would say. Yes, but they press through the mess, bounce checks, and wonder what's next. In the heights, I buy my coffee, and I go, I buy my coffee, and set my sights on only what I need to know. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Meredith Golden is a dating app ghostwriter who gets paid to make your online dating profile better and to get you dates. She lives in New York with her husband and children and joined us on stage. Hi, Meredith. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for hopping over um, from your apartment that I imagine is like two blocks away. Um, For people who have not read the profile of you in the New York Times, which everyone will after they listen to this, what is it that you do? 
I help people connect and improve their dating app lives. So many different opportunities to help people, but the one that I think gets the most attention is that I will ghostwrite on the dating apps for clients. So I will swipe and message as the client for the client, and then I will turn it over to them when it's time to schedule. This is so amazing. But so so walk us through this from start. Like someone approaches you. So someone will approach me and they'll say, I'm really busy. I suck at using the dating apps. I hate it. I have no time. I yield zero results. Help. And I'll say, okay, let's give it a whirl. Um, And I make sure they've got great profiles, good pictures, great description. Make sure they're on the right apps. And then... I do an elaborate intake process, and then I take over, and I start messaging and swiping and yield very different results than they yield, and say, hey, Abe Shmabe asked you out. What do you think? Ah, he's kind of short. I'm like, listen, your way hasn't been working. He's two inches shorter than your ideal height. Just go out with him. And they go, and they come back, and they're like, you know, the height thing didn't really bother me. I'm like, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Says I. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I have so many questions. Elaborate intake process. What's the intake process like for these? The intake process really talks about everything for which apps they've used, how long they're on each app, where they went to summer camp, where their kids are at school, how they take their coffee, do they play tennis, have they gone skydiving, would they go skydiving, do they ski, do they uh, snowboard, how do they spend their weekends, if they had an entire Saturday to themselves, what would they do? I fantasize about having an entire Saturday to myself. No. Um, You have all these people's Saturdays to yourself, though. (laughs) Really, it's every single detail. So if I am them on the app using their information and someone says, you know, hey, when's the last time you went bowling? But hold on. You you, yeah. you met, as as we discussed earlier in, in the green room, you met your husband, Owen Natural, in the wild yeah. uh, of, of New York, right? I did. So how, what is your mindset when you start to think about what are what's the sum total of all knowledge you would need to create the perfect dating profile for like an app what is it that you imagine i figured it out pretty quickly after swiping for like a week and seeing awful material (laughs) it and you know like one out of a hundred i was like yes job well done and those are the ones that people respond to it was pretty obvious what works and also you know i men women i'm all different ethnicities religions age bracket, different demographics. So I really have a unique lens in that like I'm almost a walking focus group for all the dating apps because I see everything that other people don't see. So I really know what's good. Like I get excited when I see something really great. I'm like, yeah, Bob, you hit it out of the park. No, I imagine that's good. Good, good pictures. And by good pictures, smiling, looking happy, making eye contact with the camera. What is not good is urinal selfies, (laughs) selfies in a gym, (laughs) selfies after you've pleasured yourself. Wait, that's a particular that look. Is a, that is a look. It is a look. It After is you're laying. yourself in the urinal at the gym. <laughs> um, selfies of any kind. And then there are people who wear like hats and sunglasses and you can't see their face. And all you see is like a tiny nose. And it's like, we can't see you. What are we swiping on? Which one are you? It's like 18 guys in a pool. Uh, <laughs> like what swimming. am I going to do with this? Um, I'm sorry to get hung up on this, but how do you know that someone has just pleasured themselves? Is that, does that say be, on the... It, because it is so obvious. Um, they're, do you really want me to go into detail no, absolutely. on this? Are they in bed looking like... They yeah. are in bed looking like, oh, party just happened. Yeah, like a little sweaty, a little misty look. Oh, wow. Sheets. Oh, that's so terrible. this sounds mostly like guys right. doing this. The guys do it, that's Girls right. Girls do like the hats and glasses. The, gr- the women do hats and glasses. The women will do, you know, 10 people on a beach, sunglasses and hats. And I'm like... Oh, 
So should people be getting professional photos? Like, where do you stand on this? So if you don't have great pictures and all you have is an awesome professional picture, rarely will anyone say anything about it. If they do, it's like, oh, what's up with the professional picture? Hey, it's my LinkedIn picture from work. Doesn't look so good. I figured I'd use it again because I don't have any pictures of myself. But you know what? If that professional picture gets a swipe right, then it worked. And it's better than the bathroom selfie or the gym selfie or the bathroom stall selfie. So what are some words you see that are just like bad, bad? Like what do you see the in the phrases in the text? that I see? Just like in the description that is just cliche, uh, little black dress and jeans. I could do both. I really like to get out of the city on the weekend. Do people still say they're looking for a partner in crime? Partner in crime comes up a lot. 20 years ago, when I was briefly on dating apps in yes. the early days, of, I remember people would be like, I want to get out of the city on the weekend looking for a partner in crime. That, like, oh, are we going to kill someone together? Like, <laughs> oh, to be honest, Mark, my might. father did actually say it and literally meant it. <laughs> Yes, people still say that, but now sometimes people make fun of themselves. Like, oh, looking for a partner in crime. I don't want to go to prison, though. Um, <laughs> and those are the ones I'm like, okay, okay. you get it. You know, You're like Michael you know. Cohen. I'm sorry, man. So right. you'll rewrite someone's profile for So them. someone will come to me, and they won't have a good description, and they don't know what to do. And yeah, so I will take my data from the intake form, and if they were a color work captain, if they go to fish shows every time they have an opportunity, if they're a great volleyball player, if they read the New York Times in print, whatever it is that is interesting about that person, if they scuba dive, I mean, really just, it's a cheat sheet for the other single. So it is sound bites to help the other person know what to ask them to have a conversation about. Otherwise, the conversation dies right out of the gate. And both people are like, uh, what do I ask you? Is there anyone you would turn away? So if I walk in and my head is shaved, I have like a giant swastika. I was like, I can't seem to find anyone online today. Are you going to be <laughs> like, <jaded>. eh. <laughs> Well... I would love to pull the audience actually and find out where everybody is on the dating apps. Is that allowed? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's absolutely. get these lights up. Who here is single? Who's single? Okay, can we can we Not shout for out? Not long. If uh, if you're on Hinge, raise your hand. J swipe. J date. Oh, no one on J date. Match. What? Plenty of fish. That's Ooh, a thing. Coffee meets bagel. I was getting there. Coffee meets bagel. Several. Okay, Cupid. Anyone on Happen? Anyone on ship? It's a new one? No. Silence you just saying random room. words now? <laughs> They're not so New York's okay. hottest club. <laughs> what are, uh, Ashley Madison? <laughs> Is there anything that I'm missing that you guys are on? Tinder? Tin oh, I forgot about Tinder. Sorry, my bad. Um, okay. And the league? Oh, you're still in the league. Okay. <laughs> that might like be your league. problem. I like it. Um, He's on others, too. He's on others as well. He's just maximizing his chances. Can I ask one? Yeah. Saw you at Sinai? Nada. Okay. What's Kova. So I just want to make sure that at the end of the show that I say this now, because my mission in life is always for people to meet in real life. And we've got a bunch of singles in the room. So if anybody who's single after the show wants to stay for a few minutes, these beautiful people are going to make sure that there are actual real introductions. Absolutely. We're going to drink wine with you. Yeah. That's right. And bourbon. So that was really interesting for me because, again, I know most of these things. I knew that Coffee Meets Bagel exists only because of the Times Sunday wedding pages. And I am really curious because back in my day, again, it was like J-Date and Match. Yeah. Right? Um, we're clearly the same age. We're clearly the same yeah. age, right? And I am really curious. Like, could you just briefly give a taxonomy for those of us who are out of that game? Like, what's, what's sure. what? Like, who should be on what? All right. So Tinder, which, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about Tinder because it's not necessarily my space. Um, I use it but not as much as the other ones because really it's the hookup app. 
more or less. And people come to me not necessarily looking for a hookup. I mean, here and there, but people are really more relationship-based. So Hinge is known as the relationship app. JSwipe is obviously a smaller community, but great if you're looking for Jewish. Um, Hinge in New York City in particular has a really uh, educated crowd, which I like. And I feel like I know the most people personally on Hinge, but I don't tell them that I am chatting with them. And <laughs> J-Date tends to run a little bit older for the Jews, more like 60, 70. Match also has a more mature crowd. Um, plenty of fish. Most New Yorkers that I know are not on it. Doesn't mean it's not a great app. It just means most of the people that I work with aren't on it. Um, and what am I forgetting in terms of apps? Oh, okay, keep it coffee meets bagel. I find they have a similar population. They have a they don't have as much volume as say a Bumble. Um, Bumble runs the gamut. Bumble has a very similar population to Tinder in terms of wide variety, which I like. Um, but all the apps when you put them together, I mean, we've got 70 million. You know, I could be a little off in my number, but 70 million singles on your phone. It, it's fabulous. You know, like, you don't have to go into a bar where maybe you meet one person. Like, 70 million people on your phone. That's a lot of swiping and super efficient. Okay, so you just mentioned chatting with people for other people, but that you know. So have you swiped on people you I know IRL? I swipe on people I know, yeah. And would you use your real-life knowledge to swipe? Yeah, if I know someone's a good person and I see them and I've got a client who's a good person, I'm like, oh, yeah, they'd actually get along. And so then, okay, so this is kind of like Hitch, right? The, the Will Smith movie, where like people, you're not supposed to know he's involved. So like, what if they get together and your friend is like, oh, how do you know Well, Because what I end up doing is once they match, I might say to the client, full disclosure, I know this person, I don't feel ethical about it. I need you to take over on this one. But this person's a good person, so I need you to jump in. Really, you would, not, you would not like use your knowledge like illicitly, be like, listen here, Sarah. Maybe the reason you're not swiping right is because you always turn on short guys, and I'm really good. Like, do you not ever do that? Well, no, but well, yes, I have to have I have to have my moments with clients where I'm like, listen, this is what you've been doing, and it hasn't working. You're saying no to everybody. You know, sometimes you have to come from a place of yes. Just because he or she doesn't show up meeting your seven boxes doesn't mean it's not a great relationship. And the truth is, someone could show up meeting your seven boxes and still be a horrible relationship. So you have to be open. Um, sure. People don't always like what I have to say, but I'm getting paid. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say it like it is, so, with love. I have one more question for you, but then I actually think we might have time for two or three audience questions because I've seldom had a guest who I have a feeling the audience might have more questions for <laughs> sure. than, than you. This is extraordinary. But I was just going to ask, like, how did you get in? Were you were you born to this? I mean, I how, do you, how do you get into this game? I'm like fourth generation. I'm just kidding. Um, I am just always a super connector. I describe myself as a modern day Yenta. And I, just for sport, had set up a bunch of people who got married, didn't think twice that this isn't what everybody does with their life. And a bunch of random friends got divorced, second wave entering the dating space. And I was like, wait, you can search by mileage, height, where they went to school, this is brilliant. And just started taking over their phones because I'm so bossy and realized really quickly how much everybody hates it and how much work it was. And then for me, I was like, oh, I love everything about this. Let me do more. And really quickly, I was like, this really? might be a business. I mean, if, if for whatever reason, uh, God forbid, foot, 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 et cetera, but you were to find yourself back in that thing, would you would you use an app? Is it something that you feel comfortable with? or? Well, hopefully my husband lives forever and forever. loves me forever um, and doesn't want to like trade me in at any point. But if I were single, the first place I'd go, mm, I'd probably download Hinge and Bumble. I'd get myself on it right away. 
Yeah. Bam. Yeah, why not? I'd hope someone would swipe right on me. Before we go to audience questions, are there any tips you have? Because I know you, you do the conversation, but it seems like you actually, the point is for people to meet in person. So you're not actually like prolonging those. Right. So I very much believe in less is more. Um, the dating is not happening on the apps. There's no Cyrano de Bergiac action happening on the apps. No one is professing their love. No one is giving uh, um, details about their lives that are sensitive. If someone does that, it is a red flag for me and I delete them right away because no one does that. Um, I really am just the facilitator of the connecting and then I turn it over to the client when it's time to schedule. And the exchanges are shallow. I mean, it is really quick within three or four days and then it is turned over to scheduling and the client takes it over. Okay, and then can we do hands for who here has met their partner on an app? Because I don't think we asked that. One, got two, hands. three, four, five, six, like 10 people. Yeah. See, it works. It works. It, it works. Work. My sister met her husband on an app. I think apps are great. Absolutely. Everyone should be on yeah. if they're single. No, wait, how did you meet your husband? We know in the wild, but. In the wild. Uh, we met at a dinner party, and this is a true story, which I will truncate. Um, I was about to sit across from him, and my friend Elliot said, stay away from that guy. He's a player. So I proceeded to ignore him the entire dinner, and our only exchange was at the end of the meal. I said, do you want my steak? He said, Sure. And then I left the meal and I called my friends. I said, I met my husband. Just by his look or you'd overheard conversation with? No, nothing. I was just like, I had like an energy feel. And then he finished up law school. He'd be humiliated if he knew I was talking about him right now. But he left DC and moved four blocks from me. And we ran into each other on the street. And I was like, the universe is. is You didn't even, you didn't even make moves to to make it happen. And you ignored him on purpose? Well, my friend gave me sage advice. He's like, stay away. And then, of course, I was like, there's my husband. Then he ran into him. He was like, remember the steak? <laughs> He's like, oh, Only yeah. steak. Go with my dream. <laughs> I really played it well. I was like, I fed you. Yeah. Wow. Any, Any questions, questions for Meredith? Questions for Meredith? I think we haven't asked that you want to know. We have one right there. Yeah. Josh, over here. So what about ghosting? Ugh. I hate ghosting. Define ghosting. So ghosting is, there are various stages of ghosting, right? So ghosting can be your mid-conversation with someone and poof, you just vanish, right? You delete or you stop responding. Then there's the, you go on one date, there's no response after. Sometimes it's two or three dates. Sometimes people will date for like six months and then the person just stops responding. Um, I just think it is so rude and people should have some more manners. And I think if two people aren't connecting and it's not going to move forward and one person wants out, just have a conversation. Hey, it's been great to know you. You know what? Unfortunately, I don't think this is going to work out, but I wish you all the best. So the other person isn't like, what happened? Where'd they go? I feel like there should be, you know, like on Etsy or eBay, you like rate the, the seller. Right. Like you should be able to say like, this person's a ghoster. And there should be like a little ghost that's on their profile. <laughs> Seriously. A Casper. Yeah. yeah. Like, this person has been known to ghost been before. known to ghost. Any other questions for Meredith? Yeah, we got right here. Hi, uh, I'm Noah. I think one of the things that's really hard about dating is that um, sometimes um, you'll meet someone who someone has set you up with, perhaps because they have, like, all the same interests as you, and you read the same books, and you, like, are into the same things, and it just, like, your personalities don't mesh. And I find that common interests are sometimes not a great indicator of how uh, compatible people are with one another. And I'm wondering if in your line of work you have like a theory of matchmanship. Like, who's, like who's how, do you, yeah, how can you tell who's going to be What's compatible with whom? 
Sometimes people have the same hobbies and they fall madly in love. Sometimes people have the same hobbies and they absolutely hate each other. I think it really depends. But what I think is truly important is just meeting as many people as possible for as short a time as possible. So don't get sucked into dinner for two hours, but go have a cup of coffee for 20 minutes and see if you hit it off. And then from that amount of time together, decide, did I have fun? Do I want to spend instead of 20 minutes? 45 minutes. Does 45 minutes want to make me bang my head against the wall or does 45 <laughs> minutes make me want to sing? And if you choose sing, you go out again. And so do you recommend starting with coffee? Like a coffee, daytime thing? Coffee or one drink. But what really irks me is, and I hear this across the board, someone will say, you know, he or she, we, just, we contracted to meet for one drink and all of a sudden they're like ordering appetizers. <laughs> And then and then it's like two hours in and they're like, I couldn't get out. And then, you know, he went for the third drink. And it's like if you invite someone to meet for a drink, it is a drink. Um, if you ex- say, hey, drink went well, want to meet for dinner? It's a dinner. But nobody wants to get stuck with you for like that third drink that they didn't sign up for, no matter how great you are. And so l- let us let us end on a, on a cheerful note. Was there ever a client who walked into the door and, you know, you worked with forever and you just said, you know what, you're just beyond redemption. There's just no help for you. I'm sorry. I'm not going to answer that. You don't have to mention names. What is your success rate? About 70%, but I have to define success. So someone might come to me and it's whatever problem it is that they present and they might say, hey, I am on the apps and no one ever matches with me. And I'll say, oh, let's check out your profile. Here's why you're not matching. Give them a new profile. Suddenly they're matching. That is a success. Someone might come to me and say, I match up the wazoo. I have all these conversations. Nothing turns into a date. Let me go check out your conversations and see what's happening. Ah, here's why. Instead of doing this, why don't we try doing this? Let's see what happens. And then suddenly, you know, those conversations that went nowhere turn into dates. And that is a success. So people will have a perception that everyone who comes to me, they're waiting to get a ring on their finger or to propose. And that's not really what my clientele is asking from me. They're, they're stating what their problem is and asking me for, for help. And it is across the dating continuum, not just to get married. Meredith Golden, thank you so much for being our Jew of the Week. Thank you for having me. If people, let's say that they wanted to hire you for your services, where would they where would they find you? They would find me at Spoon Meet Spoon or Instagram, Mayor Golden. Awesome. Yeah, okay. And you guys are great. You're so funny. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me as Jew of the Week. I we loved wanna, it. Will you come back as Jew of the Week some other time? Anytime. That would be amazing. Always. Thank you so okay. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Hey, J.Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive.
We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Our next guests are Jess Salomon and Iman El-Husseini, married comedians from Canada. Jess is Jewish and Iman is Palestinian. And she's also late for this show. We spent the first few minutes chatting with just Jess and then Iman joins us. She had a gig nearby that ran long. Jess Salomon is one half of our next guest segment. Um, she <laughs> is her... Wife Iman El-Husseini is not here. She's performing, right? Yeah, we yeah we thought yeah exactly. She's, she's doing a stand she's, she's, she's a stand up New York. She'll be here soon. They started a little bit late. It's very close. She'll be here. This might be the end of our marriage. I don't know. Um, I <laughs> you I might what? be hitting on Bumble. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. So so you'll in, deliver the goods. We're confident. Like yeah, maybe we'll I, end up with two Jews of the week, but it'll be a great show. Listen, the, it, my parents would be so happy. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's no in our, okay in our bio. Time. We basically say, so like, you know, you're Jewish, Iman yeah. is Palestinian. That's right. That's sort of a central tension that's come out in, in your comedy, right? Yeah. That's sort of something you guys... Yeah. That's your thing. We It's it's uh, it's definitely who we are, and um, because th- those are our backgrounds, it was a tough one to ignore. Um, there's just a lot of material there. So we, we do um, we do make a lot of jokes in our stand-up. And I'm now sure, we're working, way, now we, we perform on stage so together, and we, we deal with If she doesn't yeah. show up, I'm sure, by the way, some yeah. blogger out there is going to be like, Jewish podcast cuts out Palestinian yes. <laughs> So let's go back. So, well, let's go back to like to, to the beginning here. We'll go back to like Genesis one one, right? Yeah. Jess Solomon, you mm-hmm. are a Jewish Canadian, is that correct? Yeah. Which From, makes you sort of just nicer than most Jews, right? Um, yeah, I'm I'm way nicer than Jews in New York. No, I'm <laughs> no just kidding. That's no. so. So tell us, yeah. like, and you were and you were married to a Palestinian Canadian, correct? Yeah. Uh, Iman came to Canada. When she was young, at like 1990. So let's hear about the story. How'd you guys, I mean, we're going to get to like the tensions and the source and the mm-hmm. comedy and all that stuff. But yeah. like, let's get, you know, to the beginning. How did, how did you guys meet? Uh, well, our parents introduced us. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not, <laughs> that's my favorite cocktail party joke. Um <laughs> Invite me. I uh, yeah no we we met doing we met doing comedy. Iman was already uh, on the comedy scene in Montreal where we're from, and I started a couple years after her, and that's how we met. She she was already bringing Jews and Muslims together in the stand up scene, and had started a, a show called Kosher Jokes for the Halala Days um, <laughs> for Jews and Muslims to perform at Christmas when there was nothing else going on, and that. That show played in Montreal and Ottawa and Toronto. Um, and that's how we sort of really got to know each other, was doing press for that. And 
so at some point it got romantic, right? I mean, did you who who asked whom out? It's a Valentine's Day show. Like, I wish I I wish it was like um, something like that. It would, no, I don't think there was like a formal date. It was just sort of working together. And I don't know if you know comedians, but we drink at work. And um, wait, so actually, know, my yeah. experience I've been in some green rooms with comedians is that yeah. is that half of them drink and half of them are in program and trying to get sober. Yeah, exactly. Like I've never been around more Accurate. people talking about their meetings, their program mm-hmm. than I have when I've been with comedians. Yeah. Um, it's it's one or the other. It's uh, it's sobriety and AA or haven't gotten to sobriety and AA yet. Um, so yeah, so we were we were just hanging out and um, I mean we we do need to have a better story I think for if we ever have children. But it was um, a, a male comic who's a, a good friend of ours. Uh, he was he he wanted to have a threesome and um, and you know that's what put the idea in in my mind. We didn't. Um, so just PSA to, to the fellows who decide to try to have a threesome. Sometimes the two women just go off on their own and make a lifelong commitment to each other. <laughs> um, so that's our romantic beginning. And, um, and that's, yeah, because Iman, um, that's Iman, a Iman really wasn't, story, though, yeah, maybe not right for the future kids that you it's have. It's not, right? but I, maybe it's good for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Iman wasn't, um, she wasn't gay before me. Like she wasn't, she didn't, she wasn't with any women before me. So, um, yeah, thank you, everybody. I did that. And <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs> tell the pride committee. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons why I didn't think about her in that way, and and I didn't ask her out on a date. It was it was in this weird, con- yeah, not weird context, but. So when do yeah. you bring her home to meet your parents? Um, I guess it was once things got sort of serious. Uh, we we decided to when she started. It took her a little while to come out. Um, in her world, and once she felt comfortable doing that, then we, uh, I don't remember the first time, um, I think with my dad, it was, my parents are divorced, it was, but with my dad, it was a little bit easier, my mom, it was a little bit more difficult, um, it was, it was, it was pretty tense, yeah, I, I, we were already a few years into dating before, but they kind of knew her from, from comedy and stuff. Was this, so. what was harder, I'm curious, coming yeah. out to your parents, or bringing your mom to your parents? Um, telling them I was going to be a comedian was definitely the number one. <laughs> um, when you dropped out of med school for the comedy scene, yeah, that was exactly, like the hard exactly. Part, right? um, but she, I think, you know, the problem is, is that my parents were kind of like okay with it for a little while because I think that they never believed that she was going to come out. Um, they never thought it was going to really work because I think you know people assume with. Even still, like nobody ever thinks we're together because I think they don't think Muslim women can be gay. You know, it's just or she's going to be honor killed or like I don't know what stereotypes they have, but it really makes you know. So I think my parents were like she would never do that to her parents, and then when she did, and we decided to move to New York, um, and things were, were looking like quite serious. That that was like when my par- like my mom especially completely panicked, and uh, so she was kind of okay for a while, and then it just, it kind of turned, and then we had to get through that, um, and that was, that was tough, but now we've come out the other side. And, and she says, well, I mean, what, what, what is a specific kind of thrust of her objection? What did she say? Like, well, I can't I, believe you're doing this, too. I mean, my parents, like, they're just used to me always, like, pushing the envelope, as they would say, you know, just always doing what they don't, like, I was a lawyer, actually, and now I do comedy. <laughs> so, like, there's well, been... the blazers, which is pretty good. I mean, I tried. I mean, I'm, like, from here up. Um, but I... Yeah, so I think they're just... And they always just think I'm kind of an extremist in some way. So 
when I brought Iman home, uh, or when, when things got serious with Iman, it kind of coincided politically with like the last war in Gaza and like we were moving here and it was just like, there was a lot of tension. And in my parent, in my mom's mind, it's like, well, I guess you're joining Hamas. Like there's just no <laughs> in between, you know? So I love it. You were thinking like, you know what I'm going to do for a political statement? I'm going to marry a person to stay there for the rest of my life. That's yeah. Right. That's how committed I am. To well, upsetting she you. would think I was doing that, um, to upset her. To like upset she, her. yeah, like it's she, all about she her. yeah, I think, I think parents think for a long time, even when you're like way past that age, that your choices somehow are against yes. them or have something to do with them. And it's not just maybe that you're in love. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like is her, uh, are all of the extended Muslims in her Muslim family cool with her being married to a Jewish woman? Um, so the thing is, uh, her parents have gotten better, but they didn't come to our wedding. So we didn't talk to them for a little while. They also found out about us later. Like my parents had you more were time. On Conan or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. About it. No, but it's true. We haven't gotten to go on Conan yet, but hopefully if anyone's a booker. <laughs> we'll talk to Conan. Uh, yeah. They, um, the thing is, is her, her parents were very sweet with me because I don't know, like dif- families are different, right? But m- my family, especially um, my, my mom's side, like you know when how everybody's feeling. You know, there's those families, maybe it's like, you know how they say like wasps, like they keep everything in and you don't know what's like, you don't talk about anything. Like her family's kind of like that. You don't talk about it. You just, everybody's really friendly. So I would leave a dinner with them thinking like, oh, that went amazing. Of course they're coming to the wedding. She's like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, I don't know what you're, you know, they're definitely not going to come. Um, and so it was weird for me because in my family, like, you know, when there's a problem. So when it was like awkward for a long time until it was normal. Um, but now the thing with them is that they're like more kind of in the closet about, like their relationship with us to their friends and family and stuff. So if something does come out in the press and early on, there was an article that mentioned that Iman was married to a Jewish woman and in, in Montreal and the newspaper arrived at her aunt and uncle's place in the suburbs and they um, called up her dad and they're like, Oh, did you know that your daughter's married (laughs) to a Jewish woman? And he was like, what? I had no idea, you know? And, and then he just pretended like he didn't know, but of course he knew, and he was just like, well, I guess we're going to sell the house and move back to the Middle East because uh, this is we can't be here anymore. <laughs> and, and then that passed, and they didn't move or sell the house. But, you know, there was that panic. Um, so I think it's like, and I guess this is true for a lot of parents, it's a lot about, like, what other people think, you know, and, and like, the statement that you're making um, that, like, you, you're not okay with it. So that means that you can't do public things that show that, like, go to a wedding or whatever. So did you pay attention to Israel at all before this relationship? Um, I mean, honestly, like Israel's never been a, I've never had like an important connection. Uh, I didn't like really have family there. I went once for a wedding when I was a kid. Um, It was interesting. You know, I like traveling. I like learning things, but I didn't, you know, I, I feel like Israelis are always like, but how did you feel? You know, like you're supposed to like have some kind of like, I don't know, spiritual awakening or something. And I didn't really have that. I'm with you. I had no feeling no. about Israel growing up. It was okay. just a foreign country where nobody I knew had ever been. Right. Yeah, so I, but it, it, there is this feeling of like, this is a place that, um, you represents you in some way. And right. I mean, now I live here, so I even pay taxes. I'd go there. Um, but you know, which I, I don't think, I don't know how much Canada did before, but, um, so there is, there is that kind of pressure. And I was always sort of in, in the, you know, there as a thing. Um, but with Iman, um, 
I think, you know, the arguments that we had early on were always sort of about, I like, you know, if we had like some talking points that I had sort of heard over the years, I didn't go to Jewish school, but I had some like Jewish education outside of my school. Um, you know, you, you just learn things and they sort of seep in over the years and then you find yourself saying them. And one of our early rules was, well, where did you hear that? If like, did you hear that at the dinner table or did you hear that, you know, did we have to like look for some kind of unbiased source to make sure that like Provide whatever citations. we're saying. As a lawyer, that probably yeah. made you very happy. I loved it. It okay, really, it was foreplay. You. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the early arguments we had and like we did at the beginning and now we don't so much talk about it, but, um, was just, you know, about, I guess different ideas around like going back to like Camp David and like um, lost opportunities for peace and and my perception of like oh it was on your side that the, the there could have been something you know, we could have had something you know and um, and but now things are in such a place that I don't really have anything to argue about and also she became gay for me so you know I just <laughs> give her give her that <laughs> Middle East is yours you know. <laughs> Has, has, you know, the question I think for every comedian in the last couple of years is, has it become harder to do comedy because people are, um, are touchier? Yes. Um, I moved here just before, um, Trump and I didn't like many people expect that things were going to take this turn. And I, I came with Iman for show business and, um, because America, there's like so many more opportunities here, obviously New York. And I had the idea of really traveling and going to many places in the U S and doing comedy many places. And I, it really sort of set me back. Um, like I just got, I just got nervous, like just back on, my heels a little bit at the beginning on stage because right. especially in the early days after the election, people were riled up and there's a lot of tourists that come to New York from many, many different states. You can get some MAGA hats in the audience. Yeah. At, at yeah. The comedy clubs. yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I didn't. Yeah. So that, and you that can be scary. Tour, like, Good evening, Mississippi. I'm Jewish. This is my wife. She's yeah. Palestinian. We're lesbians. Yeah. yeah. We'll and be it, all week. And more than that, I mean, like, I guess I'm just terrified of like the guns that people have. You know, like it just it's it's not even just sort of comments or hecklers or like that's scary. But you know, culturally here, there's a lot, there's a lot of shootings. So um, you know, it's it's hard. That 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 made it a little bit more difficult. And is that um, your wife? Did your wife is get that, to ride? Is Iman, that her? Hi. Oh, Iman. Oh, come, come on, up. join yeah. us. Yeah. Hello. Iman Al Husseini, everyone. Hi. Hello, I'm Mark. Yes, hi. Hello, hello. hello. You're hello. so polite. I didn't even shake people's hands. Hello. Yeah. Um, so we talked about your family. Yes, yeah. we know everything. Oh, I told them about your dad and when he, your aunt called and was like, did you know that? Oh, my God. Yeah, so my parents are in the closet about being okay and, yeah. with this relationship. Yeah. Is I that like, what you I told feel them like, yeah, already? yeah. Okay. I feel like this is like a newlywed game where now we see like if what I said See matched if up. Match. Yeah. I love that. So what we were talking about before is like everyone must think like the Middle East, Israel is like what Israel Palestine, like what is what the drama is. But like what's we want to know what like the real day to day, the day to day drama is. Let's, let's see if you say the same stuff that you make me go through checkpoints in my own apartment. No, is that <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't mention that, that you one. have three quarters of the closet and I only I, have a quarter. I, I also didn't. didn't she has that. literally planted a flag. I'm got, not even I kidding. I got a small Palestinian flag yeah, just to in, like <laughs> secure my identity because it's I mean, it's yeah. Um, 
Day to day, it's so fun. It's very similar to Israel and Palestine is what I'm trying to say, yeah. I guess, yeah. So you guys are doing a graphic series, a graphic comedy series. Can you explain it a little bit? Because I follow along on Instagram and enjoy it a lot. Oh, thank you. Um, when you said graphic, I was like, it's all sexual. Um, <laughs> we met au naturel. Uh, it's like we were naked. When you said that, it made me laugh so so hard earlier. Um, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, we, it yeah. Was, Jess actually came up with the idea. Yeah, this animated series. we have a very good friend. He actually drew us for our wedding invitations. He's an illustrator named Jesse Brown. He lives in London and um, he did a really nice job drawing us. Uh, he even drew us quite thin. My mother noticed. And um, well, that was the best thing for our wedding invites. He, he drew us, like she said, uh, really quite thin. like models. Yeah, yeah. like models, really. Uh, I didn't think there was a huge difference, but apparently my mother-in-law was like, oh my God, he made you guys look so thin. So, yeah. so the trick is instead of a wedding photographer, you just get a wedding illustrator. Exactly. Like, like a courtroom. You can look like anything. That's it. So uh, Jess called called him right away to be like, yeah. we have to work we together. We have to work this together. So and so we, we always had these back and forth uh, jokes that we would put online on Facebook and, and, and our comedy. And it just, people enjoyed them. And then we just, he illustrated them for us. And now we have this weekly illustration. Uh, it's at the L Solomons, L so, so L Husseini Solomon, the L Solomons. Uh, it was actually our wedding hashtag and email, and then it just kind of spiraled into this duo act, this Instagram account, and um, hopefully one day a series. Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. So, um, Aman, what before shacking up with Jess, what what did you think of Jews? I mean, you're from Canada. There are a lot of Jews in Canada. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, many of them are comedians, and they all move. We'd have no comedy industry without. Jewish Canadians. Sure. But did you have, uh, did you know a lot of Jews? Were you close to Jews? Did you have stereotypes of Jews? So I always, that's the great thing about living in a Western mixed society. Uh, you're exposed to people, right? You're, you're, so the first friend that I made when I moved to Canada was a Moroccan, Moroccan Jewish girl. And we were like sisters. Everybody thought we looked exactly alike. We grew up together. Um, but I guess the culture shock for me was when I met Jess and went to her synagogue, like growing up with a Sephardic Jewish person, they're like practically Arab, you know? Like I just really, it was so easy, we're the same people. But then I go to her synagogue and there's a choir singing and there's, I'm like, is this church? What are you, you told me you were Jewish, what's going on? Um, It's elaborate, my synagogue. So the good thing though is that uh, I grew up Palestinian, my parents are really liberal and they weren't, you know, very biased or hateful despite what's going on in Israel. And my parents really like suffered directly from, uh, you know, uh, the whole thing that's going on there. Um, What's, what is it? <laughs> whatever's going on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they were very, like my dad is very, you know, you really have to think about both sides and not everybody is like 100% wrong. It's like hate was not something that he ever... Uh, encouraged or my mom either. I mean, they get pissed off when they watch the news, but it's not, it wasn't an, an awful thing. So I didn't have any thoughts. If anything, actually, my parents really emphasized how similar Jews and Arabs are and how we're basically Semitic people and we're cousins and how we should share the land all together. Leo was actually making that no, point back. No, no, okay. <laughs> just, just yeah, one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. We're making this exact point, you know, over over dinner. We're like, you know, Muslims and Jews are very much alike. Christians, we're having a little bit of a trouble understanding sometimes. Right. Uh, but you know, I was actually making the point that strikes me as crashingly obvious. You know, there's all this talk about cultural appropriation that, like, Christianity 
is actually the ultimate cultural appropriation. Like we actually have of a book. Judaism, you're yeah, so like we right. have a book. And then there's other people who said, we're going to take that book and improve and retranslate it and improve <laughs> yeah, exactly. on it. And <laughs> I love know, that you say improve. And improve on it, yeah. right? And Christmas. No, yeah, no. but I mean, Christmas is pretty awesome, right? I know, yeah. that's why I, that's it, how she I, agrees yeah. that it's Muslims an improvement. Muslims love Christmas too, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, so, not. do you have a Christmas um, no, one we don't the have two Christmas. of you? What, what do you do? You know, December. 25th. We do a lot. We do the Jewish, uh, Chinese, Jewish Christmas, yeah. movie. Chinese food and a movie. The New York Christmas. The New York Christmas. The New York Christmas. Yeah. Have you guys gotten any? Do you get negativity from either of your communities at all, or of like? Oh yeah. Like, more than just the average comedian gets, right? Yeah. Like, what what is the negativity? How bad is it? What does it look like? And, and who's more hateful if you had to guess? Equally. So that's what really? I always say. Like Jess and I mm-hmm. uh, wanted to like bridge the gap and like make peace in the Middle East, but we united all sides to hate us equally. And yeah, so we really it. brought them yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Christians get in there too on the Everybody. game. A lot of Bible verses in the email box. Um, yeah, we get all kinds you know of stuff. You know who else gets those? Jewish journalists. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, we get, ser- we get serious Bible verses in the email box. I'm oh, honored. Yeah. Like, if someone wants to save me, like, I, that's nice. Uh, Iman, so we always give the Gentile in the room a chance to ask a Gentile of the Week question. You, of course, have an in-house source for, for Jewish expertise, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm not an expert. But just knowing <laughs> is there anything Is there anything you want to know about Jews, Judaism, et cetera, that we might be able to help you with? Yeah, I mean, the question she still hasn't answered uh, when I went to the synagogue the first time. I'm still obviously very scarred. Um, so the choir, I get it. But uh, the, these men that were sitting on like these chairs with like with top hats, I'm like, who are these people? Let me guess, Shara Shamaim? Yes, in Montreal. Oh, you've been there? Well, there's really are only one synagogue on earth that still has top hats. Okay, so well, so. That I, answers part of the question. <laughs> okay, so it's just my synagogue. What is that? Wait, are you, do you guys go there? Doesn't the Spanish do Portuguese know? synagogue still do top Not hats? Not top hats, I, n- right? Do they? Top hats? Top hats? Really? So, I'll take well, a, two I think, synagogues. It, I think it looks very nice. The Jews are keeping top hats alive, which so I I'll appreciate. Do, I'll take a shot at this. It does look Illuminati ex- when you walk in and, you know, they're all like, are these the guys controlling Hollywood? Tell me the truth. No, the top hats are the banks. Hollywood is a totally different uh, style of dress. You know, in Monopoly, you can be a little top hat. That's the Jewish. <laughs> That's the Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jews know that, right? Um, the I just invented a new meme. Like that's the Jewish guy in Monopoly. So my so there's a lot. It's a reform temple. I'm assuming. It's no, it's or um, is it Sephardic? It's, or it's his- conservative, and the men and women don't sit together. Um, it's so Canadian. But it's uh, but nobody that goes there is religious. Right. <laughs> it's it's just like. For, it's a show. I don't know how to explain this it. Is scram- you- the Canadianness of it is oh, scrambling this, this a lot is- of my senses. You will sometimes see old fuddy-duddy outfits in America in one of two places. Super old school classical reform temples, because remember, reform Judaism in America used to be trying to look and act more Christian. In fact, some temples, like my, my father's family's temple in, in Pittsburgh, used to have Sunday services. Like they switched the Shabbat and they called the rabbi reverend and they like were super assimilationist. So sometimes you get the right. top hats or funny, fuddy-duddy outfits out of a history of like trying to look Protestant. But then also some synagogues with a Spanish-Portuguese Sephardic heritage have old school outfits that come down through that. Lineage. No, Shar Shammai is more, but, more, more the former. So it was started by, by my rabbi, Leonard Cohen's grandfather. 
Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, well so Leonard Cohen did that. That choir right won a Grammy, yeah. excuse That's me. Right. Yeah. yeah. That Honestly, choir is yeah. Really fantastic. And so when they arrived, uh, they needed a I mean, they set up a synagogue and pretty soon they needed a way to differentiate themselves from the Jews they didn't like, who are the poor Russians, who are, you know, peasants to them. So like, you know what, we're we're gonna do our thing in in grand style. And they had the whole uh, British manner to which they felt very connected. They have a, a, a little crest and a motto and, and it's very proper. So the similarity is like the it's it was a it, move it is, to distinguish the upper crust say, proper Jews from we, we rich fancy? now. Yeah. So you're classy, you classy Jew. It's like before Drake's and started rich. from the bottom, these <laughs> Canadian Jews were saying that. <laughs> but yeah, it is in a it is in a fancy area of Montreal and um it is um yeah, people are not necessarily religious, but they dress up. They dress yeah, up. Yeah. Um so listen. If people want to find your collective work or either of your individual works, can you direct? What are what's the best places to find them? Definitely follow our cartoon account uh, at the L Solomons on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Our website also is thelsolomons.com, and then JessSolomon.com, Emmanuel Husseini. Uh, it's Emmanuelentertainment.com. And Imanifique on Instagram. On Instagram and, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like puns. I yeah. like, you Well, know. so does, you missed, there was a lot of puns earlier. Yeah. yeah. Well, I stole one from Stephanie. I have to confess. They're good. Okay. They're good. I, I'm not a punner, but they're good. They're good. It catches sometimes. I'm you trying. Don't, you don't need to pun. You've so got can the, we, where, the bow tie. Yeah. Where can we see you? Well, we have a show tomorrow night, but it's sold out. Sorry, everybody. But um, I think you can go, yeah, on the lsolomons.com, you can see shows that we're doing together or on our websites. We always what are you doing Israel-Palestine? When are you going back? To oh, well, a lot of people, that's the, one oh, of the, yeah. the, the comments we get the most is like, I'd is like that? to see them do their gay Jewish Palestinian Muslim act over in the Middle East. You know, we're, we're like, like, book yes. us, book like, us. Well, hook, hook us up. And then they're silent. Yeah. We will direct so many people to that show if you book it. Like, yeah. we have a big fan base over there. They are, by and large, very pro-gay, and they are, you know, they, they will, we will send people, we will sell tickets for you. Well, let's you. do a show together. Yeah, we'll, we'd We're have to go, to. definitely. Our first show that we ever performed together was in, uh, in L.A., and it was somebody from Tablet was there and gave us a really nice review, and we still use their awesome. quote. Yeah. Jess Solomon, Aman El Hosseini, thank you so much for being our thank interfaith you. lesbian couple yeah. of the week. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. We, at the end of our show, as you know, do mazel tubs, but the fun thing about live show, live shows is that we turn that, that honor, that privilege, over to the, to the audience. Um, so we wanted to maybe turn the lights up and see if anyone has any mazel tubs they want to share. Mm-hmm. Hi, my name is Erin Binder. I'd like to give a huge mazel tov shout out to my friend Andrew Oberstein, who became an uncle yesterday. Being an aunt is like the coolest job that I have, and so mazel tov to him. Mazel tov, Andrew. Yeah. I am Deborah Meir, and I would like to give a mazel tub to my friend Francine Ephraim, who works for Solomon Schechter in Chicago, and introduced me to your wonderful podcast. Mazel tub! Yeah. Hi, this is Oren from Brooklyn. Just want to give a mazel tub to my daughter, Leah, who's about to have a bath mitzvah March 30th. Mazel tov, Leah! Hi, my name's Rebecca Lieberman. I just wanted to give a mazel tov to my brother, Josh Lieberman. He just moved to San Francisco to work at Apple, and he's never left New York or the Upper West Side before, so this is a really big deal for him. This is hard for him. Mazel tov, Josh. Hi, my name is Ruth. I want to give a special mazel tov to my Chabad rabbi, wonderful Rabbi Yaakov Bankhalter, for his eighth child being born, Moshe David. Mazel Mazel tov. Mazel tov, Rabbi. You hear that, Mark? Eight. Eight. You hear that, Leo? 
Eight. <laughs> you hear that, Stephanie? <laughs> no. Hi, so my name is Freddie Caden, and I actually have the pleasure of playing bridge with... Stop taking the microphone away from your mouth. There we this go. This way? Okay. No, no, just you kept pointing it at Stephanie. Because <laughs> like, she yeah, plays yeah. bridge with my mom. There we go. So I, I, I've had the pleasure of playing bridge with your mom. She's fabulous. I'm here. I want to give a mazel tov to my friend Marilyn Gessen for bringing us. And my oldest son is getting married, first one. So I want to give a mazel tov to Jenny and Zach on their wedding in September. Oh, oh. I, I second your mazel tov to Marilyn Gessen. She is amazing. I feel like the mazel tov to your son and future daughter-in-law is really a mazel tov to you, isn't it? It's really saying, like, I have a wedding coming up, which is great. Hey, it's Josh again. When Liel and I were riding back from the studio this week, we found a great tweet about the circumcision episode from an Irish listener and podcaster, and I figured I'd give him a call to find out a little bit more from him, especially with St. Patrick's Day approaching. I caught him out on a stroll with his new baby. Here's my quick talk with Dara Hoshea. My name is Dara Hoshea. I'm the author of a book called Mother Folklore. Mother Folklore? Mother folklore, basically, yes. The Irish word for dictionary is folklore, which sounds a bit like a rude word in English, but it's completely different. What are the book and the podcast about? So Mother folklore, the book and the podcast, they're about words, the Irish and Irish words, what the Irish language means to us and what being Irish means to us. I thought it was Gaelic, but you guys call it Irish? Partly a distinction from Scots Gaelic, because in Scotland they have Scots Gaelic. I guess we just started using the name Irish just to uh, distinguish that. So we should all just say Irish? Yeah, I think so. So spelling in Irish is pretty crazy. Can you say your name again slowly? My name is Dark O'Shea. So if I didn't know, I would have guessed D-A-R-R-A-C-H, and then O'Shea is just O apostrophe S-H-E-A. You've given me an extra or on my first name, so thanks very much for that, but I'll go back. So it's D-A-R-A-C-H, and O'Shea is O father S-E father A G-H D-H-A. Father is like an accent in French. That's a lot of letters for O'Shea. It's a lot of letters, but I we like to say that um, silent letters are important because there's more to it's more to life than what you see and what you hear. There's a lot going on to the surface, so silent letters are precious. How did you wind up becoming an unorthodox fan? I've been a fan of unorthodox for like four years. I, I can't remember not listening to it. And that I suppose it's, I, a couple of years back, I was interested in parallels between um, Irish and Yiddish origins in New York slang, particularly the words the, in, in old movies a cop we call the Seamus. And obviously, Seamus is a very popular boy's name in Ireland, and there's a lot of Irish-American cops in New York. But there's also a Shamash was the sexton of the synagogue, or the assistant to a rabbi. And there was a big dispute into whether the origin was a Yiddish word or whether the origin was an Irish word. And I just I started reading more into it. I, I discovered the podcast partly through that, and I just got hooked ever since. So I found you when you tweeted about hearing the word intactivist in our circumcision episode. But what also stood out to you about that episode? It was really interesting because when an Irish guy uh, meets an American girl in a bar and gets lucky, one of the first things he'll hear when they go back wherever they're going is, oh my God, you're not circumcised. <laughs> right. It's a thing that any Irish guy who's met an American girl, something that always been in the back of our minds. All right. So as an Irish linguist, can you pick me one word to take back and teach to each of the hosts? I can indeed. I'll start with Stephanie. Gasto, G-A-S-T-O for the G, which is a, a girl who, or a young woman who comes out with smart remarks. So that's Gastog for Stephanie. For Lille, I am thinking there's a, there's a word in Irish for someone who's got very strong opinions and gives them out in a confrontational way. It's trumpador. Trumpador. Uh, everyone 
who heard it in the past two years thought this is a new word. Someone just made this up, but it's a it's a very old word in Irish. It just happened to sound like a certain president. And what about Mark? Tongara, the sound of waves crashing inside a cave. It's a so beautiful poetic word, and it literally means the laughter of the sea. T o n n g h a i o r e. Tongara. Yes. Cool. So, of course, the other reason I wanted to grab you for a quick chat is that St. Patrick's Day is just around the corner. What's something that an Orthodox should know about it? How can we Jew it up? Well, there's a great way you can, because in the mid-50s, there was a Jewish Lord Mayor of Dublin called uh, Robert Briscoe. And he was the Grand Marshal of the New York St. Patrick's Day Parade in 1956. And there is an award, an Irish-American award given to American Jews every year, which is the, named in his honour the Robert uh, the Robert, Robert Briscoe Award. It's been given to Michael Bloomberg, Anthony Weiner, and many others. I think they might want to take the Anthony Weiner one back right now. I think they might. I think they might indeed. So people can find the book or the podcast anywhere they would search for those things. That's Mother Folklore, F-O-C-L-O-I-R. That's correct. I think our listeners will be particularly interested in episode 58. What was the title of that one? The Tribe of Danon. It investigates the theory that maybe the lost tribe of Dan wound up in Ireland. Derek, thanks for joining us. Okay, thank you so much. Tell me, tell me in the day or the night, would it kill you to call or write? To the mailbox. First of all, before we get to uh, the mail we're going to read aloud, uh, we're still collecting suggestions for Liel's middle name because being Israeli, he didn't get – that's not the, the style over there. He didn't get one. He's just Liel – Plain old Liel. He didn't get a Liel. sibling. He didn't get a middle name. I got nothing. So we've had some really good suggestions. We've had a couple dozen already, but we're doing, you know, we want to do a, a, a Sweet 16 style bracket. Uh, if you have suggestions, it's not too late. Email them to Josh Cross. That's Cross with a K. Cross at tabletmag.com. And man, Josh shared some of the entries with me and they are amazing. Well, one of them was uh, was Zusha after Reb Zusha. Uh, a min and a min and a min. The best one was Liel Leibowitz. Yeah. So you'd be Liel, Liel, Leibowitz, Leibowitz. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I really like, like that. actually has my And of own. course, uh, some people sent in the inevitable, imperial, eternal uh, Shlomo. 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 Leal Shlomo. Maze uh, Shlomo. Best letter of the week is just, just the pithiness of it, the brevity. Dear J. Crew, this is in reference to the letter about the circumstraint, which is what they strap babies to before they. <laughs> but, but, but of course. Before they <laughs> performed of all time. Brit Mila. Beth Gamolka writes in, Dear J. Crew, it is actually called the Olympic Circumstraint. I kid you not. <laughs> so I like that she knows the actual specific brand. The proper and, noun. And, and, and model. Um, and this one, just a bit, of, a bit of whimsy here. Our mailbox gets some spam. A lot of the spam is from public relations representatives. And I felt I had to read this one. This, this kid, I mean, we get ridiculous stuff all the time. Would you cover this? Would you cover that? For some reason, Liel has been getting a lot of the spam. It often comes. It, it's not addressed, dear unorthodox, dear unorthodox, no, no, dear me, dear Stephanie, dear Margaret. Hi, Liel. So you're ready for this one? Hi, Liel. Hope you're well! Exclamation point. Oh, that's nice. I wanted to follow up with you regarding Native's line of teen deodorant. If you could please keep us in mind for any deodorant or natural body care stories you may be planning, I would appreciate it. <laughs> smiley face, like colon parenthesis for smiley face. Now, but, can I just finish this? Because it's great. 
Native Teen Deodorant came as a result of customer feedback who were seeking a natural, aluminum-free deodorant that was fun yet effective. Formulated to be gentle on the skin, the baking soda-free formula is ideal for young adults who are using deodorant for the first time. Scents include one in a melon, (laughs) watermelon and cucumber, loco for cocoa, vitamin C, or make like a tree. And the make like a tree scent is described as clean and woodsy. You can buy it at nativecos.com, nativecos.com. Benefits including that it's paraben-free, baking soda-free, and it includes shea butter and coconut oil. Please let me know if you need anything additional or if you're able to include in your upcoming coverage. Warmly, Nicole with a K. So Nicole with a K, by sending the most ridiculous letter to our mailbox this week, I think we got you some free publicity. Oh, 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 that was the most ridiculous <laughs> letter? <laughs> Mr. Oppenheimer. Wait, you I, can top I that? I see you, your uh, make like a tree, and I raise you the following um, email that okay. was received in, in our mailbox. And of course, like all spam, of course it's addressed to me. Dear Liel. No. Hi, Liel. Hi, Liel. This is Chatty. Chatty, This right. is a more friendly, informal version. Hi, Liels. Hi, Liel. From the Diary of Anne Frank, one of the most celebrated <laughs> diaries of all time. A man. A man. To Dear Evan Hansen, the hit Broadway musical that centers around diary entries to help anxiety. Diaries have been used as a way to capture thoughts and feelings for as long as we can remember. But in the technology-filled era, gone are the days of hours spent with pen and paper. Enter Jambios, a memoir writing platform that enables non-professional writers to document one story at a time and incorporate input from family and friends if desired. So first of all, Wait, what the it's fuck? Jambios? Do you really need a, a, a platform <laughs> to fucking write down your thoughts? Take a fucking piece of paper and write shit down. Like, what is this? They have optimized the this journal. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Second of all, are you really starting your pitch for your app with Anne Frank's Tiring and then transforming and then going right to Dear Evan Hansen. What is wrong with you? I'm not even going to read your name. Whether in a PR person, whether in an attic in the Netherlands or on a Broadway stage, stage, the Nederlander theater. Whether you're escaping Nazis or just hanging out in New York, broke your arm over the summer. Go to Jam Bios. Can so, you imagine so, Anne Frank with like an Instagram account instead of like, or a Jam Bios? It's actually an, an Instagram account. We would like one of our listeners to try out some native teen deodorant and then go on jambios.com and, right. and document it's like, Also, we have live journal. We're fine. Um, okay. So we also got a few great voicemails this week. People are still talking about the circumcision episode. I wanted to call in response to the circumcision episode. I felt it very touching and I have a kind of a different perspective uh, I grew up on like a farm in Colorado, never even knew Jews existed for uh, much of my life. And then I got into college and started hanging out with some Jewish fraternity guys, discovered the Jewish roots, went on birthright, all that, fell in love with Israel. That's a long other story. But anyways, I got very close with Chabad and, you know, some other Orthodox people. Um, I ended up making Aliyah to Israel, joining the IDF, blah, blah, blah. And in the end... I was really with these Chabad people a lot, after the army especially, and I found out that I had to have a ceremonial uh, circumcision. Uh, I was born in a hospital, had like the American standard circumcision by a doctor, um, but no rabbis present, no of the ritual. Um, so they wanted me to have a, a brit milah. Um, I didn't need to get uh, anything surgical really done but they just needed to prick and suck um, and have a big party. Uh, that's how they put it to me anyways. 
in the end, I didn't go along with it because I had to reprove my whole Judaism for the rabbis to approve, um, which I had already gone through to make Aliyah, so I wasn't going to go through that again. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I think that's just a Liel. Oh, my. Yeah. Jeremy okay. Darling, welcome to the tribe. Oh, my. And finally, what do we have, Stephanie? This, this one is an update from our friend who cut her hair off in solidarity with her nephew um, after his bris. And we had said... Did you? Does he know? When are you going to tell him? And so she, haircut aunt is back. Haircut aunt is back with an ah, update. I love her. Hello again, most esteemed J. Crew. I was so tickled that you enjoyed my circumcision by proxy story, particularly your use of the word shorn, because that does make me the ram offered as a substitute sacrifice instead of the son. And in fact, I had not ever told my nephew about this act of mine, but following your suggestion, I emailed him the link to your podcast and told him about the whole thing. His response was, ha, 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 and thank you, question mark, emphasis on question mark. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. You can ask for our newsletter by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and putting newsletter in the subject line. Could you go on iTunes and rate us? If you did that, if you went on iTunes and gave us five stars and said nice things about us, it helps other listeners find us, and that just helps keep the show going. We often come to you live to book us or advertise with us. Email producer Josh Cross, that's Cross with a K, jcross at tabletmag.com. Of course, you should wear and carry unorthodox. Hit up bit.ly slash unortho shirt and find all of our swag. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter and join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross and our associate producers are Sarah Fredman-Ader, Shira Talushkin, and Noah Levinson. Our editor is Sophia Steinert-Evoy. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our social media intern is Elazar Abrams. Our theme music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi Daniel Shalom Kamen of the Synagogue in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we come to you from Argo Studios, also known as The Studio in New York, New York. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends.